If you have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the gospel according to Mark chapter 7. New Testament book of Mark chapter 7. This morning we will finish the chapter reading verses 31 to 37. If you're a guest with us, we're working our way through this book, this gospel, paying attention to how the author Mark presents Jesus as our king. While you're turning there, I'm looking forward to next week. Mark chapter 8 is the climax, turning point, hinge on which the entire book of Mark turns. It is going to be a fantastic time looking at that chapter probably for the next month or so. I want to invite you to come back and join us as we do that. As we finish Mark chapter 7, we're going to be thinking about the kingdom of restoration. With all that in mind, let's read chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. This is the word of the Lord. Then he, that's Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom work of restoration goes deeper and stretches further than we usually think. We do not give God enough credit. His work is bigger, it is stronger, it is mightier than we ever imagined. This is Mark's point over and over again in Mark chapter 7. I mean, the minute we think we know how far Jesus' work goes, he goes another step. And after he's dealt with the Gentile woman, the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter is possessed by a demon... Jesus takes it to another level with this man who cannot hear and cannot speak. And Jesus shows that his work of restoration can make all things well. He can fix any problem, any situation. His power knows no limits. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true in your life? I want to show you three hints in this passage that this is true, that Jesus' work goes further than we usually think. And the first hint we see is in verses 31 to 32, the Gentile crowd. Read verses 31 and 32 with me again. Mark says, then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. 
All right, so let's say you were going to St. Louis this afternoon. After church, you're heading to St. Louis. How are you going to get there? Almost every single person in this room is going to hit I-44 and take a straight shot northeast to St. Louis, right? I mean, that's the sensible way to do it. It's a four, five-hour trip at most, depending on how many times you got to stop for the bathroom, but it is a straight shot up the road. Geography of Mark chapter 7 messes people up because Jesus does not take a straight shot. It is as if he is leaving Joplin to get to St. Louis, but instead of taking I-44, he goes up to Kansas City to get to St. Louis. You know, remember, every step he takes is a decision not to go the straight shot. The reason is everything in the middle, basically what would be central Missouri, is Jewish territory. And every step Jesus takes, he is intentionally avoiding them. He's going the long way to get around them because he doesn't want to deal with them. He knows what's going to happen. There's, there's hostility. There's arguments. It's only going to escalate. It's going to lead to the cross. And so Jesus spends more time with the Gentiles. He goes back to the region of the Decapolis, Mark says in chapter 7, verse 31. The Decapolis were the ten cities, ten Greek cities, ten Gentile cities. We've been here before. If you've been studying Mark with us, Mark chapter 5, Jesus enters a graveyard and heals or rescues a man from a demon in a Gentile graveyard. And now Jesus is back in the area, but something is different. If you remember in Mark chapter 5, the people were not very happy with Jesus. Even though Jesus rescued this man, they were mad at him. Because Jesus had the audacity to send the demons into their pigs who went falling off the cliff and there went all their money. In Mark chapter 5 verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Something interesting has happened. You see in chapter 7, verse 32, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged, same word, they begged him to lay his hand on him. It's not necessarily the same exact people in chapter 5 and chapter 7, but it is the same region. It is the same territory, and Jesus' name has gained favor. He's trending up. His popularity is on the rise. Short amount of time. What's happened? How do we go from people begging Jesus to get out of town to begging Jesus to stay in town? What's changed? If you go back to the story of the man in the graveyard, chapter 5, verse 20. After he was rescued, the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. We see it in two chapters. One man made a difference. One man who'd been restored by Jesus proclaimed with his lips what Jesus had done for him. He couldn't keep it to himself. And the hope was contagious. Because when we get to chapter 7, when the crowd comes to Jesus, they do two things. 
They beg Jesus. And they bring a friend to Jesus. Now notice, their faith came first. You see that? This man that they're bringing, it's not his faith. He can't hear. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know the story about Mark chapter 5 in the graveyard. He's never heard the name. He doesn't know anything about him. He doesn't even know he's in town. This man can't speak. He can't share with his friends his desire to go see this miracle worker. The only reason he's coming to Jesus is because he has a few people in his life that love him enough to bring him to Jesus. Friend, who do you need to bring to Jesus? It's nice that you're here this morning, but who do you need to bring to the feet of Jesus? Now, you might start to think of all these excuses why they're not going to come to Jesus, why they're not going to put their faith in Jesus. You might say, you don't know that person. Friend, let me help you. Your faith comes first. It's not their faith that comes first. It's your faith that comes first. You have to believe that Jesus is powerful enough to restore this person. You do. You have to believe that Jesus is great enough to to change their life the way he changed this deaf man's life. Look, whatever situation they're in, their life is no more difficult for Jesus than this deaf and mute man. The power of God to change lives goes further than you think. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul tells us, To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And you may say, well, this, this friend of yours, there is no chance that they're going to enter this building. That's fine. Go meet them where they're at. Can I help you? Jesus isn't limited to the sanctuary. He's not limited to a building. He's not limited to a gathering. Are you a believer? Jesus lives inside of you. Did you hear that? Jesus Christ lives inside of you. He is in his word to bring change to this world. Believe in it. And do what the people in Mark chapter 7 did. They didn't just bring somebody to Jesus. What else did they do? They begged him. Begged him. Are you begging Jesus for your friends? Are you begging Jesus? Are you begging Jesus for your lost family members? Are you crying out to the king who can change lives? For your co-workers and neighbors. How much do you really want to see Jesus change their life? Friends. Our lost neighbors don't need to just get their act together. They need us to get our act together. Jesus. He can restore anybody. Anytime more than we think. Second hint you see of this truth is in verses 33 to 35. It's the unable man, the man who cannot hear, the man who cannot speak. Look at verses 33 to 35. 
Jesus, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, F father, that is be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus does not love us from a distance. Jesus is not afraid to get his hands dirty, to get into the nitty gritty of our lives. We see Jesus at a personal level, but also a powerful level. There are six phrases in this section of personal involvement. I just want to walk through those phrases with you really quickly. Jesus takes him aside. Privately, Mark says. In the parallel passage in Matthew 15, we know that there are great crowds. There are tons of people coming to Jesus. In this episode, there are tons of people coming to Jesus with their friends. Blind, deaf, mute, people who cannot walk. There are tons of people coming to Jesus for healing. But in Mark, Jesus sees this man as an individual. Out of the entire crowd, He brings this man aside privately. Jesus knows his sheep by name. More than a public show, a public demonstration, Jesus cares about him as a unique individual person. Jesus feels the same way about you. Next two phrases go together. Jesus puts his fingers into his ears and he spits and touches his tongue. Now, a lot of people today are like, why is Jesus doing this? What is he doing? You look at verse 29. Let me just help stay in the passage. Look at verse 29 in chapter 7. He tells the Syrophoenician woman, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. So we know Jesus has the power just to say a word and it's over. Jesus does not need to stick his fingers in somebody's ears. Jesus does not need to spit on his hand and touch somebody's tongue. If he just said a word, what would that say to a deaf man? Jesus is communicating to this man at his level. He sees Jesus stick his fingers in his ears, and he sees Jesus spit on his hand and touch his tongue. He already knows what Jesus intends to do. He feels what Jesus is going to do in his life. And then Jesus, next phrase, looks up to heaven. It's a visible sign to this deaf man that Jesus' dependence comes from the Father in heaven. And then Jesus sighs. Man could not hear the sigh. This is intimate. But that deaf man, he feels Jesus' hot breath hit his face. And he can sense Jesus' intimate concern for his situation. Jesus is in this together with the deaf and mute man. Jesus feels the weight of the moment. He's invested. Then Jesus says to him, be open. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Think about it. This may be the first word this man's ever heard. The first time his ears actually work. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying to him, 
be opened, be restored. One simple word. It's not just personal, it's powerful. This healing was immediate. Immediately he could hear. Immediately he could speak plainly. He's never been taught his ABCs. He doesn't doesn't know how to speak. He's never heard anyone speak. But all of a sudden, in front of everyone, he's speaking plainly as if he always had. It's complete. It's life-changing. Now, we've talked about other people, but what about you? What's broken in your life? What needs to be restored? Friend, Jesus' work of restoration goes deeper than you think. There might be a friendship, there might be a family relationship that you feel is too far gone. And look to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and tell me that again. It may be a physical ailment, it may be a financial situation, it may be an emotional problem, it may be a mental struggle, I'm not sure, but I can tell you without a shadow of doubt that Jesus' work is strong enough for you. But let me be an encouragement to you, you're not the only one that's ever doubted. John the Baptist, greatest man in the kingdom, Jesus says wasn't entirely sure that Jesus' work would be enough. Listen to what Jesus told John. Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. Jesus answered to them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Believe in your heart. Friend, if Jesus can do these things, what can he not do in your life? Even right now, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, praying for you, begging God for you. His Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and Romans chapter 8 tells us that he is praying for you too. Jesus is not interested in doing this work from a distance. And so let me encourage you this way. You want God to work at a powerful level? Spend time with him at a personal level. Get up close to Jesus until his breath is hitting your face. And watch God go to work and restore anything. He can do more than you will ever think. Third hint of that, after the man, verses 36 to 37, we get hints of Jesus' glorious plan. Now, you got to stick with me to see this, all right? First two are obvious. The second, the third, it is a hint. you got to stick with me to see it. Verses 36 to 37, Mark writes, Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The total opposite is us. Jesus tells them 
to be quiet, and they can't stop talking. Jesus tells us to go and spread the good news. This is not the first time Jesus tells people to be quiet. We saw it in Mark chapter 1. But that was with the Jewish audience. And the reason he told them to be quiet was because they had messed up expectations on what the Jewish Messiah would do. They were confused, and if they started talking, they would mess people up. And it would just be better for everyone in Israel if they just stayed quiet. But we're not in Israel right now. We're in the Decapolis. And these aren't Jewish people. These are Gentiles. So why is Jesus now telling them to stay silent? There's two reasons. The first is they don't know what they don't know. They don't have all of the puzzle pieces to put the puzzle together. The only thing that they know is that Jesus can heal somebody's body. They know Jesus can heal, heal somebody's hearing. They know that Jesus can make somebody speak. But what do they know of what Jesus can do for someone's soul? In fact, in the book of Mark, it's not until Mark chapter 8 that Jesus tells anybody about the cross. And so they don't know what they don't know. They don't know anything about what Isaiah 53 verse 5 tells us, that by Jesus' wounds we are healed. They've seen no wounds. So they cannot share what is most important. Jesus keeps them quiet because they can only talk about physical cures. They can't even comprehend what those even mean. They've only seen the shadows. They haven't seen the substance. Even though Jesus tells them to be quiet, they cannot keep the good news to themselves. The second reason Jesus tells them to be quiet is because when they do speak, they don't know how right they are. They don't even know the truth. And the power of which they speak. Look at verse 37. This is what they say. And I want you to see the, the greater truth that's behind these words. Verse 37. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. There's two truths buried inside this sentence that they don't even know are there. The first one. They say, Jesus has done all things well. They are pointing back to Genesis chapter 1 in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, this is what we find. God saw everything, all things he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was well done. When the people see Jesus at work, they respond to Jesus the same way God responded to himself at creation. Everything good, everything well, everything beautiful, everything excellent. These people have no idea when they say this, that Jesus is the one, John says in chapter 1, verse 3, that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. They are witnessing the creator recreate. They are watching the one who made all things, remake all things. But beyond that, they say, he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, I held some things back from you. Mark's been, been pointing this way all along. When he talks about the man with the speech impediment, 
the deaf man with the speech impediment. That word is only used in the Bible one other place. It is nowhere in the New Testament, and it is only in the Old Testament one place. And Mark knows it, and he is trying to show us that. It is Isaiah chapter 35. And the amazing thing is, when these people see it happen, they speak Isaiah 35 too. And Mark is pointing us to the creator who fulfills Isaiah 35. The creator who becomes the redeemer. I want you to see Isaiah 35 in full. I'm going to put the whole chapter up there so you can see what Mark's trying to show us about Jesus' work of restoration. It goes further than you can ever think. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 35, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Check this out. The glory of Lebanon where Jesus is in Mark chapter 7, shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. In Isaiah chapter 35, before Isaiah chapter 35, all Isaiah is talking about is judgment. Judgment. Judgment on the people of Lebanon. Judgment on the people of the world. And then in Isaiah chapter 35, the message changes from judgment to joy. From brokenness to restoration. From agony to singing. And notice Isaiah points to to this world where all of creation is restored. When the people of the Decapolis start spreading the good news, they have no idea how right they are. They don't know. It's not just one man who is mute who can now speak. But all of creation is heading for restoration. They have no idea that they're watching God's eternal plan unfold right before their eyes. The good news stretches further and goes deeper than they could ever think. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus is the creator who made all things well. When God made things in this world, everything was perfect. But what happened? Because of our sin and our rebellion, we declared that God did not do all things well. 
that he fell short, that there was something better out there for us that we were missing out on, that we deserved better. And in the garden, God brings judgment. He brings a curse on all creation. Not just man, but on all things. That's why things are broken today, brothers and sisters. That's why people are born deaf. That's why people are born with disabilities. It's why relationships are broken. It's why hurricanes crash against the coast. It's why wildfires rage in the forests. It's why our homes are destroyed by abuse. It's not because God made it this way. It's because we rebelled against the king. But the good news of the gospel in Genesis 3 is that God, even then, promises to bring a Savior who would restore all things. And Isaiah sees this day coming. He says, God will come. He will be the Redeemer. He will be the ransom. Even then, telling us it's the work that he's going to do, the payment that he will pay. And when Jesus comes to bring healing to the deaf and the mute, it's like Mark is saying in chapter 7 what he said in chapter 1. The kingdom of God is here. Restoration is available now. All things are being made new today through Jesus Christ. At the cross, brothers and sisters, Jesus did all things well. He paid for every sin, for everyone who would believe in him. Jesus was broken so that you could be healed. Jesus was crushed so that you could be reconciled. Jesus was risen again so that we could be a part of the new creation. Mark chapter 10, verse 44, 45, Jesus says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me ask you at a personal level, has God done that work in your life? Has he restored your heart to him? Has he restored your spirit so that now you can walk with him in obedience? Has he brought complete healing to your soul? Has he brought salvation to you? Has he spoken to your heart like he spoke to that man? Be opened and given you a new life immediately. If he's never done that, all you have to do is beg Jesus. You come to him as the king and ask to be restored, and he will make all things new. He will make your mind new. He will make your heart new. He will make your hands and feet new so that you walk in this new life. And one day, he's going to give you a new body to live on this new earth with him as your king forever where there will be no more tears and there will be no more brokenness. There will only be joy. If you have never come to the king of restoration, he has given you the chance to do that right now. If Jesus has spoken to you and opened your ears, if that's you, if Jesus has brought you to himself and Open your ears so that you could hear his word and, and be saved. Can I challenge you? Open your mouth. He doesn't just make the deaf hear. He makes the mute speak. If God has restored you, speak about it. Share with someone how God has 
turned your life upside down and taken the darkness and brought life and taken the pain and brought joy. If he's really done something in your life, tell somebody about it. Psalm 51, verse 15, when God did that to David, David says, Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Now, I know, friends, we still have struggles. We still have things that are broken. We're still waiting on the day Jesus comes back and makes all things new. We're still waiting on the day that Isaiah 35 is is fully realized. This is just for free. Can I help you? That passage we read at the beginning of the service, Revelation 21, it shows us the same thing. The gospel, the good news of restoration spreads further than we even think. Can I help you out? Jesus did not die and rise again so that you could go to heaven. Your, Your eternal destination is not heaven. Did you know that? Heaven, friend, is a waiting room. Heaven is a place where the, glory, where the glorified saints go to wait for the day that Jesus returns to the earth and restores all things to a new earth and a new heaven where you will live with a new body forever. It goes past heaven. It goes further than you think. So in the midst of this broken world, do not forget this truth. He has done all things well. There's no room for complaining. There's no room for being angry and bitter, wishing we had better. He has done all things well. J.C. Ryle said, let us remember, as we look back, let us remember, as we look forward, the shepherd of the sheep does not make mistakes. Take that problem in your life. Take that pain. Take that thing that's keeping you up at night. How far do you think Jesus' work of restoration can go? How deep do you think his love can go? Whatever you think, Jesus can go further. Jesus can go deeper. Dare to put your faith in that kind of Christ, in that kind of Savior. Do not let your circumstances or trials deceive you. Jesus is greater. And the hope of the gospel is stronger. Romans chapter 8 Verses 18 to 25, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Brothers and sisters, 
waits. Restoration is coming. And it will be more glorious than you can ever imagine. Let us pray.